0: So we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today, verses 11 through 18. Now, if you're perceptive, which the vast majority of you are not, that's the same passage we taught last week. And we have planned that we would do it two weeks in a row throughout all of redemption for this primary reason. Most people that grow up inside what we call kind of evangelicalism and a lot of Christianity in the United States are very familiar with things like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not as a result of works. We very much understand our vertical dynamic with God that we have to believe to get that right, but we really miss this horizontal dynamic that's all over the New Testament. And we won't understand the rest of Ephesians unless we do. So we're gonna kinda slow down today and make some real direct application while trying to see how beautiful this vision ultimately is. So I'm gonna ask you all to stand. Throughout the history of the church people will stand to show reverence for the word of God. I'm going to read this passage in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 18. And we're standing cuz this is the word of the living God. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace." who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray uh, this morning that when John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah... You said that he would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. The disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make a people today. I pray for redemption, Gilbert, that your spirit would be uniting us and you would be preparing us as a people who are ready for the day of the Lord. God, I pray right now for the disobedient in all of us and the disobedient in this room that you would turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And God, where there is division and strife, turn the hearts of parents to their children, husbands to their wives. God, believers, brothers and sisters of Christ to each other, all in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So how many of you remember 1985? Remember it. Raise your hand. Be proud. Man, you guys are old, right? If you remember it. 1985 there was uh, this huge moment in the music industry there was all kinds of different artists in a recording studio people like Lionel Richie all of you who don't remember 1985 don't even know who that is but you may know his daughter Nicole right she's friends with Paris Hilton you might know Nicole well her dad Lionel Richie was quite a singer he was on the stage with Stevie Wonder He was on the stage with Michael Jackson. And for all of you who are even older, he was on the stage with Paul McCartney. And they were all on a stage. Anybody remember what they were singing? We are the world. world. It was this famous moment of America for Africa, this kind of idea of hope for Africa, in which they were singing this song, We Are the World. And the main phrase says, we are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a better day, so let's start giving. It was meant to really take responsibility of if the world's going to get better, we have to understand that we are each other, and we've got to start giving. Now, two things are really important as a Christian for you to understand. Oftentimes, as Christians, we're far too pessimistic about stuff like that. That phrase alone says all kinds of things that are biblically true. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are each other. Those are all very biblical, biblically, biblically true things. But at the same time, it does miss something foundationally that peace doesn't ultimately come by saying we want peace. Peace doesn't ultimately come and divisions be solved just by singing songs. There's something deeper. There's reason division is there. There's reasons Africa and the United States of America have problems like they do. And it's really complex, which makes policy really hard to pass when people are trying to solve situations. That's true in our government, and it's true in your family. Things are complex. Paul understood this. A couple of weeks ago, I told you this, that Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, is operating with an understanding of sin that's far thicker than most of us have, but it makes way more sense of the world we really live in, Paul's view. The reason many of us struggle to live out the life that God calls us to live is we don't understand how rich and thick the Bible's view of sin and redemption are the problem, sin, the solution, redemption in Christ. So let me just remind you really quick that Paul's operating on these four dimensions of sin, that sin is cosmic, meaning the devil's real, and evil's a reality. Okay? That what Christ came to do is destroy the works of the devil and it operates every day, not in a distant land then, not just in places you can't see, but it has everything to do with why the world's so screwed up now. Sin has this individual dimension to it, which is what we think about all the time. But even that's more complex. But we are the problem. That's the idea. Societal. Individuals build societies. There is problems in the world that are so complex because sin's real. Okay, so whatever you want to call that, whether you don't like the terminology of structural injustice or systemic injustice, it's just true logically and biblically. Because sin's true, cosmic, individual, societal, and ecclesial. Here's what ecclesial means it just means church, sins in the church. And this is the one that is plaguing Paul. He's operating from all these, but this is plaguing Paul when he writes so many letters in the New Testament is that God has called together a people for his own possession, Titus 2 says, to be zealous to do what is good. And when sin enters into the church and we become as individuals self-absorbed and divisions are created, the witness of Christ is compromised. So Paul is operating with an appeal to the churches. This letter will go out to all kinds of churches in this region. His appeal is remember who you are. Remember who you were and remember who you are. And remember what God's ultimately doing. So let me draw your attention before we get into this section and pull out some direct application to what Paul said that God was ultimately doing in Ephesians 1.10. Okay, it's one chapter behind Ephesians 1.10. He says this, in Christ, that he purposed in Christ something to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment. What's the something? what what did he purpose in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth now let me say that again to bring unity to some things correct me is that what it says what does it say all things now why do you think god wants to bring unity to all things Help me, folks. Why do you think he wants to bring unity to all things? Here's why. Amen. He's the creator of all things. That's what it says in Colossians 1. The things we can see and the things we can't see. It's his. So sin comes in. The devil comes in and has an idea. I'm going to divide it all up. A lack of unity is anti-love. Division is anti-love. Going against the grain of oneness is anti-love. God is love. And he's going, you know what I'm going to do in the end? This is all mine. I'm a God of love. I made a world to operate in love, self-giving love. The devil thinks he's going to divide it it gets embedded in individuals and in their flesh they're constantly stuck on themselves and they're convinced i'm right they're wrong i'm right they're wrong and relationships get divided and jesus says truly no over my dead body that's literally what he says over my dead body will i leave this as such so my purpose is to bring unity to all that i created under christ the purpose is unity under love because god is love do you guys see that If you miss that, you don't get Ephesians, and you don't get the Bible. That's what God's doing. He's bringing unity to all things in Christ. Small, quick statement. This is what we are the world gets wrong. He himself is our peace. Now, so then the question is, how do we get there? How does Paul desire to get there? The church is in Ephesus to understand this. Knowing that at the time there's this massive division between Jew and Gentile. Well, he starts by this. that He's ultimately trying to create in these first few verses palatable perspective. Okay, now I'm going to slow down because I don't want you to just think I'm using big words to use big words. Palatable. If you think you have a palate, like taste. God's doing this all the time. Taste and see that I'm good. He's constantly conjuring it up. So when he says, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by hands, remember. Okay, that word remember means set your mind's attention, your thoughts to this thing. Now, Jesus made our bodies If you talk to anybody that understands psychology, anybody that understands neuroscience, anybody that understands counseling, there's one theory of counseling called cognitive behavior therapy. So I'm just going to give you a quick example. In anxiety, people will be scared about things that aren't a reality. It feels real. So cognitive behavior therapy would be like, tell yourself what is true. But then they'll also say, get your body moving, that you're, you need to move your way into truth, right? So here's what Paul knows. When he says, set your mind's attention, your thoughts to this thing, he knows it'll conjure up emotions and bodily response. So here's what he's trying to conjure up. Remember your alienation. Now, you guys all know this, right? You know it from like when you were a kid on the playground and you didn't get chosen, now, some of that's just because you were a bad athlete, right? But you know what it felt like. Even if you were a bad athlete, it's like that's, that alienation feels terrible. Or when you were made fun of. Or maybe even now when you walk into work and there's a moment where you know there's been side meetings happening. And everybody kind of looks at you and then looks down. And you just keep walking like, this is odd. What it feels, that's what Paul's trying to conjure up. Remember, formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called, name called, The uncircumcision by those who were the circumcision. And here's where you know Paul's not saying, oh, it's all okay, because you were the uncircumcised. And they are the circumcised. Because he then says, which is done in the body by human hands. Human hands, Paul's conjuring up this idea of that which was made by human hands when that phrase is used in the Old Testament. It's about making idols. If you don't know much about the Bible, when you make a false god, that's bad. And he's saying, you're dividing yourself and becoming name callers because of something you do in the flesh? Something you do with your hands? Now you go, well, God created circumcision. And later on in this passage, he actually erected the wall in the temple that separated the Jews from the Gentiles in worship. That was for a very specific purpose. It was to ensure that the nation of Israel understood that they were a called out people of God not based on what they had done but based upon the grace of God for the purpose that all the nations would know that there's one God Hero Israel the Lord your God your Lord is one Yahweh is God he's the way he's the truth he's the life so it was meant to remind Israel of who they were in being separated for the life of the world let me say this again I got to slow down and breathe, so you don't just get caught up in my emotion, right? He set Israel apart so the world would know. He didn't set Israel apart so Israel would say, we're the circumcision, you're the uncircumcision. That was never the point. There's a very, very potent passage that most everybody in here doesn't know. I didn't know it either. Um, until the last few years in the book of Isaiah, where the prophet's speaking to Israel, trying to get at the heart of, hey, I wanna tell you what God's gonna do in the end. Because in their minds, in Israel's minds, they're like, we're first. And this carried all the way over to the New Testament because when Paul in Romans is saying to the Jews that you're sinners just like the Gentiles, he says what's gonna conjure up that the Jews are gonna go, then is there no advantage at all to being a Jew? And his point is, yes, you were given the word of God. Like you were called to do something for the life of the world. But they thought we're supreme. Now watch this passage in Isaiah chapter 19. God's reminding Israel of what will happen in the future day. And he says, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Now, were the Egyptians and Assyrians friends of Israel? No. They were enemies of Israel. In that day, there'll be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt, the Egyptians to Assyria. They didn't like each other either. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. Now people will be like, what? They're gonna worship together? And look at what he says now, let's bring Israel into it. And in that day, Israel will be third. What, tear your clothes? No, we're first. In that day, Israel will be third along with Egypt and Assyria, all a blessing on the earth. Now look at this. The Lord Almighty will bless them saying, Egypt, my people. Wait a minute, we're your people. The Jews are your people. He will say, blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Folks, if you're sitting right now and in any way feel a thread of cultural superiority, You miss it bad. That's never the point. Even if God has blessed you in any way, culturally, nationally, familially, individually, you're blessed to be a blessing. And blessing means you received it. You didn't cultivate it. You didn't develop it. This idea of name-calling, now let me just slow down for a minute. This, na- this idea of name-calling and looking down your nose at somebody else going, they're the problem, ruins societies. It ruins our worlds. It ruins families, and it terrorizes marriages. Jesus speaks about it all the time, that if you are looking down your nose, here's the bottom line, you've forgotten who you were and who you are. He's right now trying to create palatable perspective in the Gentiles. He's done it with the Jews, but he even brings the Jews into it when he's like, it's mere human hands. It's mere human hands. So let me just stop. The reason we're teaching this two weeks is that I have a moment to step back and just say this. You individually right now, I'm talking to you as a person, have to pray for God to expose your heart of where you fundamentally believe you're better. You need to pray, we need to pray, that God would expose in us as individuals and in us as a church who the other is for us. Because God doesn't give us the option to go, but we're better than the other. He doesn't give us that option. We can say he's better, we can't say we are. It's non gospel. It's not true. You miss it. He wants you palatably to remember your alienation. And that's where he begins to go on. You were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, not your own recognition, not your own epiphany not your own wisdom, not your own upbringing. Now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Palatable perspective. Now Paul begins to move in because he's so passionate that the way we get this oneness, we get understand this. Now he begins to say that the peace he's speaking of, which is comprehensive peace, is personal peace. Now that sounds like a contradiction in term. Here's what I mean by personal peace. Peace comes through a person. Look, at it's very clear. He himself is our peace. Songs aren't our peace. Policies not our peace. Aspirations and dreams aren't our peace. Christ is our peace. That's what he said. You couldn't say it clearly. For he himself is our peace. Now look at what he says. He is our peace. How did he accomplish this peace. How does he become our peace? Who has made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Now look at this phrase, because this is kind of a big deal. His purpose, slow down, his purpose? I kind of want to know his purpose. I wonder that all, like, what's God's purpose? What's he doing? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Peace means oneness, means unity. He said it already in Ephesians 1.10. He's going to say it through the entire book. His purpose is to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross, by which He put to death their hostility. Now, major point, there will be people when you begin to teach the Bible and what the Bible talks about horizontally that will say things like, can we just preach the gospel? Now, if I said, what's the symbol of the gospel? The cross, right? You wear it, right? You might have a sticker of it on your car. You want to make sure it's in churches. You loved when we put the big cross on the street, okay? The cross, That's interesting. That word's used here. To create a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Now, if I said now, okay, the gospel's given an emblem in the cross. Why? Because Christ was crucified there. Who was crucified there? Christ. What of Christ? His body. Wow, interesting. It says his flesh. By setting aside in his flesh. So Christ's body, shedding of blood, on the cross, which you say is the gospel, was about bringing alienated people together as one. Folks, that is the gospel. That's what he's doing. May we never be a people that separate the comprehensiveness of Jesus in the cross by saying, just preach the gospel. If you say that, you have a really small, unbiblical gospel. This is God's world. Division horrifies him. He sent his son to the cross to spill his blood, that father's hearts would be turned back to their children, that wives' marriages would be restored, that races who've had hostility against each other would be reunited. That's his purpose, folks to deal with sin, to destroy the works of the devil who's out to seek, kill, and destroy, and divide. That's the work of the devil. Amen? (laughs) Now, I have to say this. Because he speaks fundamentally about his flesh and his body, and every week that we gather together, we celebrate his body and blood. You just did it. You took this little cracker and drank this cup. Now, if every time you took that, most of the time, my bet, those who've been around think, you took my sin. But you may never think, like, in taking my sin, you were in your body making divided people in Christ one. I wonder how many of us, when we partake in communion, and maybe our fault that we don't talk about it enough, think about division, relational division. Because in fact, Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can turn there if you want to. He says this, I hear that many of you are taking communion while there is divisions amongst you. Let let me turn here, because this is kind of powerful if, if we're people who say we believe in the Bible. In the first place, I hear that you come together as the church, and there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it, he says. Then he says this, if you go down to verse 27. This is all in the context of how he talks about this moment of the Lord's Supper. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Don't keep reading because it gets freaky. (laughs) Folks, he, if he killed his son to unite us, don't sit in a room when people on the opposite side of the room you have massive problems with. That you're in a small group with them and you don't even like them and you, you go, I don't even want to see them anymore. And you're in the same room partaking of communion. That last night there's a horrific upheaval in your home and you go, but God set his son to set the hearts of the father back to the children and you're sitting next to your son or son, you're sitting next to your father or mother, you're sitting with your daughter and you're like, oh, I'll just take communion. Watch out, read read 1 Corinthians 11, watch out if you're doing that. You're making a mockery of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen to me. He says, before you partake of it, go make it right. And you go, but you have no idea how complicated it is. And I'm convinced he'd go, you have no idea how complicated the cross was. You don't know how hard it'll be. You don't know how hard it was. You don't know how much time it will take. You don't know how long I've planned. Folks, this is no joke. God really cares about this. He cares about it because he cares about you. He cares about united families. He cares about united marriages. He cares about united churches. He cares about a united world. He loves you. Good fathers don't like division in their families. They don't. They'll go to all extents to get their kids to get along. Is that not true? Good parents, good mothers, weep in their beds Over their sons not talking to their dads. Stay up at night in the horrors of their marriage. Would give anything for their kids to get along. Folks, this is the real stuff of real life. You think the Bible's relevant? What keeps you up at night? Is it not relational? If it's relational, fundamentally, what keeps you up? What agonizes your soul? You think God doesn't care about that? That's all he's about. This stuff matters. Cosmically matters and matters for the mission. He's doing this to go, my desire in the church is that they would show a way of how to deal with sin, how to costly forgive, how to love beyond barriers and boundaries in such a way that the world would go, they've got something, and we'd go, he himself is our peace. That they wouldn't go, those are perfect people. They never fight. They'd go, they fight a lot, but they know how to deal with it. And they said, God told them how to do it. They told him God told him how to forgive. They actually have hearts changing who go, we've forgiven Christ because he's forgiven us. He himself is our peace. Now, there's this last phrase in verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Folks, this is all about the heart of the Father. Paul talked to you about the parable of the lost son today the father's heart is being spoken of all the time in most primarily and perfectly in the person of jesus christ now jesus christ is crossing boundaries and barriers all the time to where the religious people are going he's a drunkard he's a sluggard he hangs out with all the wrong people right then he's a man of the people But he goes to an enemy of the people in Zacchaeus. Jesus never lets human beings be turned into objects. He always teaches every one of them. His enemies, the religious, is human beings, and he's always moving towards them in love. Not love, just going, I love you. Sometimes it's, I love you enough to punch you in the face, right? And show you how wrong you really are. Not literally punch you in the face. He said, turn the other cheek. I mean... Punch you in the face of, whoa, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus is God. His word judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But this is about the father's heart. You ever think about a family picture when you're getting up at a wedding and they're like, hey, this is going to take a while. Everybody go eat because we got to do family pictures. And then they start yelling at everybody, hey, get so-and-so here, get so-and-so here. And everybody's up on the platform. And they're all about ready to take a picture. And then they're like, where's Bobby? Ah, and then everybody, and the the photographer's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We can't have it completed if they're not all there. Folks, that's the heart of the father. He's sitting there going, listen, my heart was for Assyria, it was for Egypt, and it was for Israel. In the future, there'll be every nation, tribe, and tongue. If you're to embody that in your family, if unity's the core, then the division in your family matters. If division in your marriage, if division in the church, it matters. Now, let me tell you how much it matters. There's a passage in Galatians, and I want you to think about this as we do baptisms next week, because in the history of the church, they would recite this passage many times in baptism in a world where there was all kinds of enmity and division. They'd quote this. This is Galatians chapter 3. It's going to come on the screen, I believe. Now look at the word baptized. For all of you were baptized into Christ. Now remember, this is salvation. We're baptized into Christ. Have closed yourselves with Christ. For here there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. He says it again in Colossians chapter three. Right. This is Paul. He says this in Colossians chapter three. Here in the church. There is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and in all. Now, folks, don't think for a minute this means they go well. There aren't blacks and whites, and there aren't Irish people, and because in the end every nation will be there. You'll know they're the nations. It's not like all of a sudden he goes, we're colorblind and you don't know their culture and you don't know their race. But what he's saying fundamentally and foundationally is rich or poor, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, when you come here, we're Christians. I shouldn't even say when we're coming here. When you go, you're Christians. I'm in Christ and I'm an African American. I'm in Christ and I'm Heinz 57, what I am. I'm like all kinds of, whatever the United Kingdom was is what I am. In Christ, I am these things. But here, what they're saying fundamentally is if you're going to be baptized, there's no divisions here. Your cultural prejudices out there and even political differences, you don't have the option. You don't have the option in the church when Christ shed his blood and put his body in the Christ cross to create unity we don't have the option to go can't stand those people not here not unless you want to make a mockery of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings so on that note let's pray I'm going to ask you guys to stand up this is going to maybe seem a little weird but that's because we're weird not because God's weird Grab somebody's hand, and we're going to do a benediction through Galatians 3. Would you put that back on the screen? And we're going to read this. Um, just so you know, there's hand sanitizer right outside the room. Okay, if, you're free, if you're a germaphobe, okay, this matters uh, to communicate oneness. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a great week.